Welcome to the EquipCast for the Archdiocese of Omaha. Designed to help leaders to transform their cultures, to embody the pastoral vision, to be one church, encountering Jesus, equipping disciples, and living mercy. All right, welcome everybody. Welcome to the EquipCast. My name is Jim Jansen, and I am, I mean, I'm always excited for episodes, but I am really really excited for today's episode. We've got two friends today on the podcast. Angela and I, Angela, we, we met more, more recently with Angela Harden and Gary Johnson. Gary, we've known each other just for a couple of years, but man, have we had some conversations in, in those years. Gary and Angela are both parishioners at St. Benedict the Moor Parish here in Omaha, Nebraska. Gary, Angela, welcome. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for having me. Okay, so you guys know how this goes. I always like to give people an opportunity. Tell us a little bit about your faith journey. When did you first encounter Jesus? Um, I'm Angela Harden. I was actually born and baptized Catholic. I have attended Catholic schools all of my life. I attended Sacred Heart Elementary School, ended up at Holy Name Elementary, and then high school, graduated from Holy Name. So I would be referred to as your cradle Catholic. So um, yeah, I've come to know Jesus at a very, very young age. He's always been a part of our family, a part of our life. Um, One of the most remarkable things, I have four other siblings, but one of the things that we laugh about to this day is that we used to, we used to play mass. That's awesome. Um, We were fortunate enough to go to mass twice a day at school. And then we come home and go to evening mass with our mom. We had prayer groups and prayer. Wow, wait, you went to mass twice a day? Twice a day. We had it at school and then we come home and we went to mass with our mom. Yes. Wow. So this is, I have never, that is, (laughs) I've never heard anybody say that before. That's awesome. and people laugh because the things we used to do is we used to play mass. So in our spare time when we were home, we would actually play mass because we had mass in our home. So we actually had hosts and wine and chalices in our home. So our mom kept us kind of protected and uh, all the time and we couldn't watch a lot of TV either. So we would play mass and each one, one of us take turns. We could be the priest we can pass out the communion. We would do the readings. We would set up the altar because we had our own little makeshift altar in our home. So um, when I say that I'm Catholic, I'm Catholic. It's just something that just comes natural for me. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, very natural. That's awesome. I have never heard. I mean, I've got, you know, two little boys that would play mass, but they only played once a day and maybe they would go once a day in school. That's Okay, winner. Like that's that's the most that's the most Catholic childhood I've ever heard. That's yes. incredible. Okay, top that, Gary. Okay. Well, I'm Gary Johnson. I'm from Savannah, Georgia. I'm also a cradle Catholic. I found out that I was baptized six days after I was born. My story can't even begin without acknowledging my parents, uh, Gail and Eugene Johnson. My mother started Catholic school at the age of five. And when she went to the second grade, she was told that she could no longer attend Catholic school because she Mm -hmm. moved across town. And as a six-year-old girl, she protested. And she had to learn how to catch the bus by herself at six years old so she could attend St. Benedict the Moor Catholic School. Um, She just fell in love with the Catholic Church and the Catholic faith. And all through my life, she was a parish council president. She was the first Black Savannah Deanery CCW president. And for as long as I can remember, church was always a big portion of that. But 
I remember just being in church all the time. And, and of course, I was a mother's boy. And, <laughs> and there was like a, a tether, a, a tether of love between me and her. And I would always sit next to her and I would look up at her during mass and she would always be attentive to the altar. Mm. And so trying to focus my attention on what she was focused on, I would look at the altar. And then every once in a while, she would just look down at me and she would wink, but then she would always go back and focus on the altar. So I just knew something was important that was going on up there. Man, that's awesome. So a few years later, uh, I was four years old and I was uh, at the beach and me and my brother were playing, we were jumping waves. And one of the waves kind of knocked me off balance and the waves just kept coming and I tried to get up and I just couldn't get up. And for some reason I had the presence of mind after not being able to get up to just say, Lord, I guess this is how it's gonna end. I didn't, I didn't scream for my mother or nothing. I just had peace come upon me and I just said, Lord, I guess this is how it's gonna end. And then my mother reached down and grabbed me and picked me up. Well, at that point in time, I knew that I, that I had stumbled onto something and that something was, was uh, Christ. Hmm. And so from then on, it's been a, a game changer. Um, I also attended Catholic schools. I started at five, attended Blessed Sacrament School and graduated from Benedictine Military School. So I grew up in a, a black Catholic community. As I've stated, you know, my love for history, uh, mm -hmm. I found out through research that Savannah was one of the six Catholic enclaves when they started ministering to blacks after the Civil War. And I just happened to land in one of those enclaves. And we had four black Catholic churches. So we had like the community, a small community. Yeah. And that community provided a safe shelter to worship. I knew it was different from worshiping in school because when I was at school, I was never called to participate in the mass. Hmm. But when I was at church, they were saying you had to be an altar boy. And I, and I, you know, it, it's hard not to notice the difference who, who yeah. names get called and, and stuff like that. But it was just a place where everybody was like a mother or a sister to you. All the men were like a father or a brother to you. And it just gave you a place where love was overflowing. Your cup was overflowed with love and that love allowed you to go out in the world and love as well. Man, Gary, that is so... I mean, that's kind of like, I mean, my heart and mind are kind of drawn back right, to the stories in Acts of the Apostles of the first Christian community. Like that's, we call ourselves, you know, we're, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Like that, that wasn't just lingo. You experienced that growing up. Absolutely. Well, we've already kind of gone there, but I want to give you all a chance to give people a glimpse into the life of Black Catholics, right? Both the triumphs and the challenges. I mean, most of our listeners are kind of swimming in their own culture, whether it be suburban blah or Omaha, the archdiocese here is very diverse. So we've got a number of people who you know, would have kind of German ancestry or Irish or Czech or um, very large immigrant population, now renewed immigrant population, Spanish speaking immigrants, you know, varying generations. Give people a glimpse into the life of, of Black Catholics, good stuff and the hard stuff. Well, for me, Angela, 
I was opposite of Gary. My growing up in the Catholic environment is mostly um, within school has been in the white environment other than St. Benedict's. With St. Benedict's, I would just attend on Sunday. Mm -hmm. So during the week you had mass at school and then we would attend various other parishes in the Omaha Archdiocese. Um, St. Cecilius is one that we attended very often. Sacred Heart was one we attended. St. Philip Neri, just one in the northeastern Omaha area or in most of the churches that we attended. Um, I want to say for me personally, just some of the trials that I've experienced, even through grade school, high school, and still growing up as an adult, um, as early as just two years ago prior to COVID, um, when I'm not attending St. Benedict of Moore Church, a little bit of history, I worked for Union Pacific as a train dispatcher. So for 20 years, I worked for the railroad and we worked 365 days a year with different various schedules. So every Saturday and Sunday I worked, I wasn't able to attend St. Benedict's because they just have the one mass on the weekend. Mm -hmm. So one very good thing, a triumph about being Catholic, you can go to any Catholic church you want to and you find a mass on the weekend, whether it's a Saturday yeah. or a Sunday, there's always a time that you can find mass. And, and that's one of the triumphs of being Catholic. Right. One of the downfalls for me, I, you know, maybe I'll, I'll visit a church. I may be out West or I may be in South Omaha visiting another parish and I'll walk in and, and visibly, yes, I'm the only black person that's walking in there, but I've had instances where I've had people that have literally gotten up out of the pew that I walked, sat in and found another place to sit. Hmm. Or at the time when it was time to give the kiss of peace or the handshake for peace, I turn to give someone behind me peace and they don't acknowledge me, hmm. you know, and it, it's, it's very, very, very humiliating. Or I'll turn to acknowledge someone during mass because I'm a people person and, and I acknowledge mm -hmm. people and you'll get people that are just looking straight, just stone cold, just not even acknowledge you and, and, and even acknowledging that you're there. And this has been for years. Mm -hmm. Um, my first experience when I bought my first house, I, I moved out to West Omaha and I've got two daughters and I put my daughters through religious education classes and I chose not to send them to Catholic school because I didn't have a really good experience growing up being black. And most of the schools we went to, like I said, it was five in our family. It was usually the five children of the Hardins and maybe one or two other black children in the school. Yeah. And it was not a very positive environment. Um, so I decided that's not the path I wanted to take my children. I did not want to put my children through that because it's very hurtful. And, you know, growing up now, because we love one another, Christ says love and Christ says to forgive. I'm able to do that because I've got that strong background, yeah. but I didn't want to put my kids through that. So I didn't. And so they would go through CCD and their classes and they went through some of the same things that I experienced in school. And, you know, just thinking about how hurtful that was, you know, mm -hmm. as parents, we think we're a little bit tougher, but when it comes to someone that hurts your children, you're not as tough as you think you are. So mm -hmm. with that, you know, you kind of want to turn your back and not want to be Catholic. But, you know, I, I, I stayed true to the faith that, Jesus always says that he's there for us. Jesus is my friend. I felt his presence always as a little kid. Oh, and especially when I do the Our Father, we put our hands up. Mm -hmm. Whenever I have done that, every time I do that, it's my little left hand. Jesus has always taken my left hand and he holds my mm -hmm. hand when we do that, Our Father. And he has done that for me since I can remember probably about nine years old. Mm -hmm. 
And so I've always had that personal experience with Jesus. And that's what keeps me going and keeps me faithful. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I don't know how many of our listeners, uh, I, I suspect very few have had the privilege of worshiping at St. Benedict the Moor, but it's a very vibrant, I mean, the hospitality of St. Benedict the Moor, I was able to a couple months ago, you know, go with my family and very vibrant style of worship, very hospitable, very welcoming. I mean, you know, it was kind of like we were the only white folks <laughs> at, at mass that, that day uh, and my blonde, curly haired little girls. And so like the, the contrast is very striking as you talk about it as well. Yeah, for, for me, uh, St. Benedict of Moore is just a place of rest, a place of refuge, a place to exercise my faith place of positivity. One story that stands out in my mind is I remember one, one day, one Sunday, I was probably about eight years old and the priest was given his homily and I pretty much had like a coughing attack. I just kept coughing and I know I, I know I was disruptive and I was trying to, you know, trying to be quiet, but it's just, I just kept coughing and coughing and coughing. And all of a sudden I get a tap on the shoulder and a lady hands me a cough drop. And I just thought, Lord, I mean, that, that is just awesome. I, I mean, I needed something. I didn't even have to ask for it and it was provided. So I go to, and I was sitting right by the aisle and I go to open the cough drop and all of a sudden it shoots out and bounces down the aisle. <laughs> and I just, I was so embarrassed. How old were you again? about eight years old. Oh, sure. Yeah. That's a great. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. And so yeah. I, 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 like I said, I was too embarrassed to get up and I knew not to get up and go after <laughs> it. And so I was kind of just coughing up under my breath. And then the next thing I know, here comes another cough drop. This time, <laughs> the cough drop is open. It's been unwrapped for you. Oh, and, that's and awesome. it, it was just that kind of love and affection and care that nurtured me all, all of my life. I remember uh, being part of the National Black Catholic Congress. In times when I wasn't playing football or basketball or soccer, we would travel like one weekend a month, like clockwork. And we would either go to Augusta, Macon, Atlanta, or uh, Columbus, Georgia, to visit another Black Catholic church, mm -hmm. just to try to encourage uh, one another, to let each other know that we had clusters of Black Catholics and even if our brothers weren't loving toward us, we had enough love amongst ourselves to prevail against any obstacle, any challenge. And as a grown up, I remember moving to Columbus, Georgia and going to a St. Benedict the Moor in Columbus, Georgia. And I remember when I moved to Omaha, the first mass that I attended, I, I met Archbishop Lucas. And I kind of knew something was special here about Omaha. But I just knew that every place you go in a major city, you know, there's a black Catholic church. Mm -hmm. That's why I always hope that nothing ever happens to St. Benedict Moore, because as Catholics move around, they kind of know that the Catholic church always has something for them. Yeah. And, and how special the black Catholic churches are, because um, I remember the songs that we used to sing. I remember one was, if God is for us, who can be against under the weight of the wood? And those songs still play in my head, just like yeah. I just left mass. Yeah, the music is magnificent. Like yeah. it really is. It really is very. I mean, it's very fun. Right. 
And it's, and it's just the intensity that in which we sing those songs, the spirit meshes with it. And it just, it gives you the strength that, that really uh, anything that's thrown at you, you can deal with. So I have to ask both of you, because as, as you tell these stories, both of, you know, experience of, of feeling on the outside, feeling rejection, but also like just the really beautiful and extreme hospitality and love within the Black Catholic community. And Gary, especially if you talk about being able to, to experience Black Catholic parishes in various parts of the city, in various parts of the country, do you think part of the, the closeness and hospitality, which almost seems too small for this, but just the love, the intensity of love in those communities, do you think part of it is born out of the, the, the sense of persecution and feeling unwelcome in other places? Well, I mean, everybody, everybody, um, at least who, who's persecuted that I know, has a relationship with God organically. Yeah. And um, that's, that's, that's almost like a survival mechanism. We start, mm-hmm. uh, first of all, how do, we, how do we get here? And the answer is love, right? And the question is, is how do you, how do you get in a situation where you're persecuted? And, uh, you know, if, if the, the Sunday reading is the, the two commandments that Jesus uh, was asked, what are, what's the most important commandment? He said, the first is to love you, uh, God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. And the second is to love neighbor itself. Well, you know, people who are persecuted, they, they, they just love. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're not trying to withhold anything from, from anyone else. And uh, that, that really just gives them a strength that the people who are persecuting will never understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I, think that, I think you see that again. I mean, I think often, right, <laughs> the Jewish people, <laughs> you know, God, God's people, the deep identity and unity, no, it's not perfect, but you know, within Jewish people is often born of, of the fact that they often found themselves just slightly on the outside of the cultures or other communities that they lived in, you know, as they're dispersed through the other nations. Um, Gary, I want to, two things. Um, we don't know the ethnic breakdown of our listeners, but I would suspect if it's anything right close to the typical demographics in the Archdiocese of Omaha, probably majority of our listeners are, are white. I remember just a simple story that you shared with me. So you were a police officer for a while. And I remember this simple story that both highlighted our unity as brothers in Christ, particularly Catholics. And it also highlighted the, uh, just the difference of experience, just like being pulled over and both praying Hail Marys. But I'm praying that my insurance doesn't go up. I'm praying that mom and dad don't find out you know, that I don't get a ticket, that I'm, I'm praying that. And you're praying for your safety. Can you just share a little bit about that? Yeah, well, in Georgia, we have a few cities we call sundown towns. And the sundown towns are the places where they say Black people shouldn't be there when the sun goes down or bad things happen. And uh, being a police officer, a former police officer myself, I understand the business end behind policing. Mm-hmm. And uh, the thing about jails and, and prisons is they, they require people in order to run. And so in America, it's kind of accepted that 
the black areas of the pools where you can get the flesh to make the sausages. Hmm. Um, and so even as a police officer, when I'm not in uniform, I'm subject to be looked at as a black man. Mm-hmm. And depending on how I respond, it could cost me my life. I mean, I have the, I have the, the, uh, I guess the fortitude to know that my, you know, I'm already assured eternal life. So I don't, I don't have uh, the worries of an unchurched person. Right. But uh, I know that things could get dark pretty quick and the system will cover some of those incidents. Mm-hmm. I want to give both of you a chance to just to talk a little bit about through the last, you know, couple months, really, I mean, through, through 2020, a lot of the racial divisions in our country came into the spotlight. And I think I don't want to project my own experiences, but I think a lot of our listeners probably experienced sadness and disorientation. What do you think the response for a Catholic and just in general, a person of faith, but a Catholic should be uh, to questions around racial reconciliation. How should we respond as, as people of faith and Catholics? And how's that different than someone without faith? Well, I think when we talk about race, it's something that's political and social and it's constructed, it's curated by man. It's not of Jesus. So that's the difference between faith and unfaith. Say more about that. Well, you know, sometimes a lot of things that we believe are just some of the lies or just some of the hierarchies that have just in systems that have been infringed upon blacks and, and created this power of racism that has come to be what it is today. And you have people that believe and don't believe. And as Christians, you know, yes, we're different ethnicities have different races and ethnicities, I can't even say the word, but the common heritage that we do share is that through our salvation, we're all part of Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for all of us, and that's what connects us together as family. And church or unchurch, we all have that connection. And what we need to do, and and it's hard, talking about racism is hard, and, and I know majority of your listeners that are listening are probably white listeners, but we need to understand the truth of the racial injustices. And we, you know, we can speak of the George Floyd because I think that was kind of the the race awakening for the United States for things that have been happening for years and years. And, And since that George Floyd incident of last year, you know, yes, there's been more dialogue, there's been more conversation. Mm-hmm. And honestly, me and Gary have had conversations where we've gotten frustrated because we will have people that have come up and say, well, you know, I'm not racist, but, and they'll say something that's racist. So I think um, there- And that's not helpful. (laughs) That's not helpful, but honestly and truthfully, because we're saying, okay, do they really not understand it? And there are people that really don't understand it. So for us, it's frustrating, but on the other hand, we need to keep telling the truth. We need to read our history. We need to understand what's going on and- have those uncomfortable conversations because they are very uncomfortable conversations. Yeah. You know, and, and some of the things, if you ever look at the news, whenever there's a, a crime that happens, if it's a crime by a black man, it says, well, it's a tall six foot four black man. But if it's a white man, it's a, a man in a, a hood that went, but they never mm-hmm. say the race. You know, it's just simple things like that. 
but I think when it comes to talking about race and, and trying to preserve love and deal with the truth, um, we got to realize that truth once told is no matter how hard it is, because no one likes to hear the truth, no matter what it has to do. And it's not just race. No one wants to hear the truth. The truth is painful. So what we need to do is to peel off those layers and deal with that pain. And once you start to handle the truth, then you can take the steps toward reconciliation. Because what we need to do is we need to reconcile. Yeah. You know, I'm reminded of a story that I've sh- I shared with you all before. One time we were hanging out. I have some friends that are Indian Christians. They're uh, from India. And I think many of our listeners know, right? India still has remnants deeply, to deeply cultural you know, remnants of the caste system. And both of my friends came from a, you know, very, they came from different class. One was of kind of like the priestly class, the Brahmin, another was a, a much lower class. And both of their families were, were, you know, deeply Christian, but as they were talking about their courtship and the way God was bringing them together, that was a huge obstacle because they were from different classes. <laughs> and I, um, innocently, but ignorantly said like, wow, I mean, your families were Christian and like deeply Christian, multi-generational, you know, uh, and faithful and ministers, but they still struggled with like the caste system. And they're like, well, yeah, I mean, it's not unlike racism in the United States. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, like you're like, you're, you're right. But it's easy in India. It's easy even for Christians, for men and women of faith to be blind to the way the caste system has skewed their vision of their brothers and sisters. And I think the same thing is true uh, for those of us in the United States. It's easy to be blind to the more subtle forms of racism. And and we miss it because it's just, you know, it's like, it's like fish don't recognize water. It's just, it's just part of the, part of the air they breathe. Gary, I want to give you a chance because I know you're a student of history and there's two stories that I want to give you a chance to share. Both of them I love because there's a part of these stories that makes me want to like shout for joy and make me so proud of being Catholic. And there's, and then there's a part that just makes me want to bury my head and, you know, my head in my hands uh, and, and weep. And kind of both of the emotions are there in these stories. Could you just share just a little bit, just the story of the initiative that the Vatican took to try and uh, reach out to the newly freed slaves here in the United States? Say it one more time. Well, Rome, right? The Vatican made an oh, offer. Right, right. So, so uh, again, you had clergy that were coming, visiting America, and they were reporting back to Rome. So they had the second plenary council because Cardinal Spalding knew that this was a great opportunity to save millions of Black souls. And so Rome basically gave them an order to evangelize to the freed slaves. Mm-hmm. And the bishops at that time said that they were too busy evangelizing to the newly arriving immigrants. And so they basically disobeyed Rome. And Rome wanted to have a bishop on the national level to head the evangelization of the free slaves. And you had a few bishops who said they would renounce their episcopacy before they would allow that structure to be set in place so the compromise and it's always it's always a compromise they decided that they would put a priest 
that was in the Diocese of New York, and he would be the person that would head the evangelization for Blacks. And, you know, of course, you know that he was suppressed. Well, and he, he wasn't he wasn't in near proximity to the uh, newly freed Absolutely. slaves either. Yeah, yeah I, Gary, I love I mean, I love and I hate that story. There's a part of me. Yeah. It's like, you know, I'm so proud of the, you know, the initiative the Vatican's taking and, and the recognition of the opportunity for mission. And then, you know, saddened and confused and ashamed of, you know, bishops who would be ready to resign as a bishop before welcoming a fellow uh, fellow believer at uh, black man as a bishop. I mean, that's a national, international story. But there's there's a similar story that has a rhyme to it that's closer to home here in Omaha. So let's go. Let's let's uh, come closer to home. You know, I'm a, I'm a I'm a Catholic Catholic, so uh, I'm always trying to find information out about the Catholic Church. So I find the three volumes set on the history of the church in Nebraska, and for some reason. That doesn't satisfy the quench. Something says go back to the uh, area where they're selling books and just look. And so I see this gold book in pristine condition, and it says the history of the Catholic Church in, in Northeast uh, Nebraska. And I said, well, how much does this book cost? One dollar. I said, well, I'll buy it. <laughs> so I take that book back home, and and then it has this section about racial discrimination in the vineyard yeah and so and this I, was a I, book that was authored kind of in a quasi-official capacity by by the archdiocese at the time right right it's published by the catholic voice yeah and so i, I started reading uh see a little bit about saint benedict the Moor, and then I, I stumble across this little section about father flanagan and we know that father flanagan is up uh, being promoted by the Archdiocese for sainthood. We just saw a news article where the Vatican representative came and they were pouring through all the articles. And so Father Flanagan in May of, of uh, 1946 sent Archbishop Ryan a letter requesting permission to bring a seminarian from St. Louis to Boystown. And once the seminarian finished the seminary that he would become a priest and reside at Boys Town. Father Flanagan reasons were he said that not only would he be good for the black kids, but he would also be good for white kids as well. The Archbishop replied about a month later and he said, I'm I'm kind of surprised that you would would make such a request. He talked about St. Benedict the Moor being a missionary church and that they were being cared for by the Jesuits at Creighton. And that really there was no place or no mission for a black priest in the Archdiocese of Omaha. And that if things didn't work out, he would fall back to the Archdiocese. But two of his concerns were one, were the feelings of the clergy at Boys Town. And also that he would have to consult with the Archdiocese uh, consultors before he made a decision. The Archbishop wanted to consult. The Archbishop, right. Yeah. And he said, for the seminary to come for a, a visit, they would probably treat him well. But for him to live as a social equal, as a black priest amongst white, as a social equal, he said even good priests weren't ready to, for that. And I just found, again, that was just so stunning 
when we talk about loving God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength, and loving neighbor itself. Mm-hmm. And not to mention that Augustus Tolton had been ordained a priest back in eight in the 1880s. This yeah. was in the yeah, it's not like this was the first black priest right. or this seminarian. Was, right. Again, that story, it's like, gosh, you know, so proud of Father Flanagan, so sad at the missed opportunity. It's kind of emblematic of, I, I think, the range of emotions you feel as you start to, to learn some of this history. As I look at what the Lord seems to be doing in the church today, so much of what the Lord is doing when you listen to John Paul II, Pope Benedict, Pope Francis, and I think then our own Bishop Archbishop Lucas, is that the church is being called to rediscover her missionary identity. What role do you see the Black Catholic community playing in that rediscovery of the church's missionary identity? Well, I think that we have to educate at least the Americans on the history of Black Catholics. If there's any doubt that Blacks were in the Bible picture, we have to remember that Jesus, Mary, and Joseph hid in Egypt. Mm-hmm. And Moses also was in Egypt. If we look at a a map, we'll see that Egypt is located in Africa. If you travel outside of America, there's plenty of places where you'll see Jesus uh, in European churches as a black man, and you see Mary as a black woman. Mm -hmm. And one of the questions I know that we we pose, uh, that I pose to you, is that are we we preparing our parishioners here in, in this archdiocese for the possibility that Jesus might have been a man of color. And if Jesus was to show up today, have we prepared our diocese and the country to accept Jesus is coming back as the victor this next time? But is that going to cost people their souls? And, and I remember you said, well, Harry, what, what do you want? What do you, you know, what are you trying to get at here? And I said, I, I, I just want to save souls. And I know that there's some souls in, in North Omaha that are being neglected. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I live in Bellevue and I pass and it, was, it would be easy for me to just go to St. Matthew's and fit in the, you know, in the crowd. I love your heart to go out of your way to St. Benedict the Moor because that's a mission outpost for a significant population of the city of Omaha right. that has a very low Catholic presence. I mean, St. Benedict the Moor is there, God bless Philip Neri and Sacred Heart, but there's a big mission field in North Omaha. There aren't a lot of uh, folks in, in the neighborhood that have experienced the beauty of the Catholic church. Angela, what's your, how do you see the black Catholic community helping the church rediscover her missionary identity? I just see us, reaching out to our sisters and brothers and bringing them back. I think for, and and I think Gary said it perfectly at, you know, as long as you're Catholic and black and, and go to St. Benedict de Moore, then you're fine. It's all family, but we need to be a Catholic archdiocese that accepts everyone, you know, and yes, and I'm, I'm in Northwest Omaha. So I passed three or four churches on my way to St. Benedict's because it'd be really, really easy for me to go to St. James Seton, which is right, literally less than a mile from my house. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I passed through there to get down to St. Benedict's, but I go to St. Benedict's because 
it's family, it's home, and I can be myself. And, you know, that's an experience that I should have no matter what Catholic church I go to in Omaha. Yeah. I, th- I think that we have to, we have to create an environment though. Um, one thing for sure in the age of information is you can't, you can't have secrets and technology exposes secrets all the time. So mm-hmm. there, there is a reckoning and a cleansing going on, but one thing that we have to realize is that God's law is above all, and that's that's love. And love will defeat any any plot, any wickedness. And I I kind of laugh when people try to challenge me on a on a political standpoint because I'm gonna come back to Christ, and I'm I'm, I'm gonna say, okay, well, first of all, we got God's law to deal with, and He said, I am. And then he said, let that be light. And then he created the world. And he said, everything that he created was good. And he said that he made us in his image and likeness. And we became the human race. And we became a family of families. And so I said, we can go to the political spectrum, but let's get back to love. Love is what created everybody. And everybody came here through a man and a woman. And, you know, that's it. Mm-hmm. That's it. Full stop. Yeah. Gary, Angela, I just want to give you just kind of like a last, last chance here to speak, speak to listeners who, who are feeling a call hope. I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of been our, our prayer as we dreamed about how our conversation might be a blessing. Those who are feeling a call to integrate their faith into relationships with people of color, where would you encourage people to begin? I think I would, have them to discern through prayer and to just to be aware. And I did a a stunt on Spirit Catholic Radio for about six months. I came on every month and that was kind of one of the topics that way about. And it's really, really just really very simple. Mm. Um, If you're not in the presence or if you don't see a black person very often, when you do see one, you don't have to run over and speak. But, you know, if you can make eye contact or maybe a head nod or you know, if you're in a grocery store, say hello and just not give that cold shoulder. Um, look at your history. Yeah. There's tons of history out there. Read your history. Know what's going on. Um, if you ever get a chance, come down to St. Benedict Moore Catholic Church. We have one mass on Sunday. It's a nine o'clock mass. Come down. We'll definitely make you feel welcome and, and just try yeah. on your own experience, but just do it through prayer because then you'll be led by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so this is rocket science. You're like, pray, pray, be friendly, come visit. Yes. Okay, write that down, everybody. <laughs> Gary, what do you got? All right, I, well, I, I second Angela. Um, St. Benedict de Moore is a very special place. I think it's a miracle parish. It is, yeah. And I think that every Catholic owes themselves a pilgrimage. Don't go to Rome. Come to North Omaha. And we only have one mass nine o'clock on Sundays at St. Benedict de Moore. I think that everybody in the Archdiocese of Omaha must do that. And we can't shy away from from these difficult conversations. They're going to happen. And what we have to realize is that we're one human race. And uh, we got to get out of television and get into our Bibles and start discovering who we are. Amen. And you know what? If people of faith don't do it. We cannot leave the conversation absent 
right? We can't let our country have this conversation without people of faith. And I would be remiss if I don't give a acknowledgement to my Friday morning men's group at- uh, Yeah, give them a shout out. Uh, Christ the King. Oh my goodness. What a bunch of loving group of men. They reached out to to me. What was that uh, conference we went to? The Global Leadership Summit, the GLS. Global Leadership Summit. Uh, Father Vitalis is, is giving me a call on my cell phone. Meanwhile, uh, Greg McMillan is inviting, inviting me to the men, morning men's group at six o'clock. And it's just blossomed into fences kind of up to now we just, uh, just love one another. And, and one little story, last little story I'll tell you is uh, I go to Cloisters on the Platte for an annual three-day retreat. And I was just, I was led to write, write a little uh, entry into a journal on the last day there and just thinking nothing would come of it. And lo and behold, two weeks later, one of the men's, uh, in the men's group wife went to a retreat at Cloisters on the Platte. This, was, this just happened to be one of the couples that invite, the only couple to invite me over for dinner. And that wife read my entry in, in that journal in one of the villages. So it's like about 12 different villages, a mm-hmm. village that somebody could stay in. And she just happened to stay in that villa and just happened to read the book that was in the lobby. And that was just uh, another sign of, of, of many signs that God just reinforces uh, what's going on in my life. That's beautiful. So I want to end here. I want to give people an opportunity to connect with St. Benedict, the, the more parish. Don't really want to end on a controversial note, but I just thought this would be, we'd be remiss if we didn't go here. I understand that St. Benedict the Boar has the best fish fry in town. Yes, the best catfish in town. That is correct. Yeah, I know we're going to ruffle feathers with that, but just like, you know, we're going to be brave. We're going to go, we're going to go for it. Uh, 9 a.m. St. Benedict the Moor. I've been, I've been there with my kids, family. It is wonderful. It really is a, a hidden gem. Gary, I think people should go to Rome too, but they should definitely, a little closer, yeah, yeah. make a pilgrimage right, right. to uh, St. Benedict the Moor. So, Gary, Angela, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for uh, sharing a little bit of your story. And thanks for, for being with us today. Thank you, Jim, for having us. Yes. Thank you for the opportunity to, to talk to our, uh, our diocese. Yeah. So we're going to link in the show notes uh, a book that the three of us really appreciate, Be the Bridge by Latasha Morrison. Uh, great start if you're interested in diving in more. And I don't know, maybe we'll drop a pen or put a map. Um, it's not that hard. If you, have a, if you have a phone, which you're probably listening to this podcast on, you can go find St. Benedict the Moor and then start diving into that history, the history of Black Catholics in the United States by Cyprian Davis. Gary highly recommends that. And if you need more book recommendations, we can get you in touch with, with Gary. All right. Thanks, everybody. God bless.